The sermon this morning is entitled, Set Apart Together. And our main text is going to be the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, it would be good if you would go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, you'll be ready to read along with us when we get to that passage in just, just a moment. But, but in order to kind of introduce our thoughts, I, I want us to think about individuality. Individuality. I found some uh, memes, some graphics out there on the internet that celebrate individuality, individualism, and I want you to look at those with me together. Uh, Dave Grohl, some of you know who that is. I like Dave Grohl, uh, but I'm not sure I disagree with him. I'm not sure I agree with him here, rather. He says, no one is you, and that is your power. Uh, okay, I, you know, I mean, that's one of those things that just kind of, you know, catchy little thing to say, uh, but examine it. Okay, that's my power that no one is me. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think of Socrates, any of you that have studied Socrates. Socrates, of course, was a pain to most of the Greeks in his generation because he challenged the prevailing wisdom on every turn. And one of the things that he challenged was that the artists, the poets, were just considered inspired in ancient Greek culture. And he had questioned the poets as to the meaning of the beautiful lines that they could compose and found that most of them didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> as a person who loves art, you know, guilty as charged, you know. And, and so Dave, you know, Stick to the music, man. Uh, what about this? Who's the happy one? Is, is, this is, not, is this not clear? Is the message here clear? Everybody who fits in, who's willing to conform to some community standard, they're just in black and white and against the wall, and they're blah, and they're just unhappy. But look at the person who's happy. The person who is happy is the one who refuses to conform. The one who is determined to express individuality at all costs, yay me. That's, that's what that little meme there is communicating. So I'll let you process that and think about that what you, what you will this morning. Uh, what about this one? If you walk in the footprints of others, you won't make any of your own. Okay. If everybody else's footprints are walking along the path that goes around the cliff down to the bottom of it, and those are the only footprints you can walk in, I guess you should just let your footprints walk off the cliff. Is that the idea here? You've got to make your own footprints. Don't walk in anybody else's. You've got to be original. You've got to be unique. How arrogant, man. That's just foolish. There is no thought that has ever crossed your mind that some other human being in past history has not thought before you in some way. Humble yourself. You're not so original. You know what? The right path of life, those footprints were made in the dusty earth of Palestine 2,000 years ago. And as far as I'm concerned, if at the end of my days my footprints are absolutely indistinguishable from his, praise Jesus. That's what I'm aiming for. I don't want to make my own footprints. If I do, I'm obviously not walking on the right path. So these things, they seem innocent. They, they catch the unthoughtful, the unwary. And people share these on their social media as if, oh, that's just a wonderful thought. Isn't that so true? Again, yay me. Look at this. 
You create your own universe as you go along. All right, let's try. I declare in my universe I am three inches taller and 50 pounds lighter. Didn't work? <laughs> okay, maybe I just need to, to try harder to go along and, and make my own universe this morning. Maybe I could say Alakazam. Will that do it? Uh, Abracadabra. No, I'm still in somebody else's universe. <laughs> uh, maybe this one for you Sesame Street fans. A la peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> I think that might be the problem, you see. Uh, no, I don't get to make my own universe as I go along. I'm in God's universe. You know, I mean, I might interpret it ways that I want to, and they may be wrong, but at the end of the day, I don't get to create my own world. I've got to, to be in reality and live in the world that is. Madam, that's what mature people do. Don't share memes like this. Don't get sucked into foolishness like this. Don't let this define you as if you get to define you. My friends, you don't get to define you. You never have been able to do that. No one has ever been able to define themselves. And at the end of time, the only definition of you that is going to stick, the only one that is going to matter, is the one that comes from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ as he sits on his glorious throne and judges us in his presence. So I think I kind of want to go in the direction of there being less of me and more of him. What about this one? I know a lot of folks are fans of zombie apocalypse stuff, and I just love it. You may not be able to read it, but it says individuality. Being unique, different, and individual is not always the same as being smart. All right, we got zombies on that side. All the unoriginal people are running away from them. You can be the guy in the red heading toward them if that's what you want to do, but I think it makes you an extra uh, on the show, not one of the stars. <laughs> All right, put that together, I'll let you think about it. All right, I want you to let this sink in, brothers and sisters. Please meditate on this with me. Think about this thought with me this morning. Our hunger for individuality is pride. It drives us into our own little worlds, and we are lonelier today than we have ever been. In America and Western civilization, maybe the whole world for all I know, we are lonelier today than ever in the past. We're starving for community in the midst of a society that claims to be the most inclusive in history. Is that profound? Oh, that is profound. And that ought to be a wake-up call. Brothers and sisters, we've got to wake up and not get caught up in the spirit of this age. We've got to recognize that this age, as in all other ages, is in rebellion against the will of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not in the truth and not in reality. This culture, this cultural movement that we've been a part of in society, uh, it was started by a bunch of hippies, okay? I'm going to be unkind here for a moment, but a bunch of unwashed, drug-abusing folks wallowing in the mud, all right? That's what this cultural movement toward the celebration of individuality in America that's, that's what it came from. This cultural movement of society toward the celebration of individuality began as a reaction. It began as a reaction against the perception of the shallowness and control. Look at those words. 
the shallowness and control of traditional society. Folks in the middle of the 20th century said, man, this society is so stuffy. It, it's so shallow. Surface community everywhere. There's no depth. People are hypocrites. And just look at how controlling all these traditional values are upon us. And the generation threw it off and have been as they've grown in their control of Hollywood and their influence on business and politics and on arts, all the arts. They have influenced this culture continually where today the average American is living in the midst of this cultural movement that wants to celebrate their individuality at all cost. And what has replaced that old traditional culture that was supposedly worse is a culture of individuality that is shallow and that exercises a tyrannical control over people's lives. They haven't fixed anything. They've just replaced it. Glenn Tinder in his book, The Political Meaning of Christianity, says this. Society encourages unity as a means to establish law, order, and power. Society makes compromises to develop a superficial unity that ensures its own survival. Society promotes itself. Community, however, is an end in itself. Community refuses to compromise because its existence depends upon developing and maintaining pure and authentic relationships. Societies view communities in their midst with suspicion and at times hostility because community threatens the shallow consensus society seeks. If you'd like that quote, I'll email it to you because that, is, that hits the nail right on the head. That's what's going on in the world around us. We don't need society. We need community. And brothers and sisters, the movement of society that has consumed almost all of the time of, of almost all of our lives in this auditorium has been doing everything it can to promote an individualism that destroys community. Our culture has lost its sense of community. And that is why, in the clamor to be recognized as unique, in the society that encourages us to accept everybody and tolerate everything, the suicide rate has never been higher. People have never been more miserable. People have never felt more alone. Because what you need is not to celebrate what distinguishes you from everybody else. What you need to celebrate is not what makes you different and stick out from everyone else. My friend, what you need to celebrate are the ties that bind you together with other people, and especially with those of like precious faith. You see, as the church, we are not just one part of a society. Uh, we are a potentially threatening community within it. We are a potentially threatening community within society. Because everything I preach from this book every week, it is countercultural. It exposes the sinfulness and the rebellion of society. It condemns it, and it calls everyone from the top down to the lowest person in our society to repent and lay their lives face down in absolute sorrow before the throne of our God, asking for His mercy and for His direction. And well, the arrogant individuals around us just don't want to have any part of it. And so is the church today about celebrating individuality? Or is it about individuals committing to the health of the community? I think you already know the answer to that question. But let's look at what the Bible says. 
Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, there's our individuality. So what does our individuality highlight if we're looking at things from God's perspective? Individually members one of another. My individuality is to be celebrated as a contribution to a healthy community. That, that's, that's what my individuality is for. That's why God gave each of us distinct personalities. Not so that we could say, look at me, look at me, yay me. But so we can say, how can I contribute the me that God has made me to be into the health of the whole, the community, so that we can all be blessed, so that we can say, yay, Jesus Christ, for making us a community, yay, us. That's what God would have us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, the apostle Paul writes, because there is one bread, we partook of it this morning, and it meant something. It wasn't just to remind us that Jesus died for us, although I, I will say that is the primary reason for us partaking of this bread. But it also means something about this, this uh, horizontal fellowship that we have with each other this morning and with all of our brothers and sisters all over the world. Uh, Paul continues, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Jesus is the bread of life. We partake of this bread in representation of his body. As we do so, we celebrate that we are together his body, the body of Christ, a community that has been brought together out of the world because of the death of our Lord. We have celebrated not our individuality this morning, but our oneness in Christ this morning. We've celebrated our community in Christ this morning. Our central passage is, as I have announced, 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 5, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Beautiful. Now let's go down to verse 9. Verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. Brothers and sisters, that's what this is about. This passage is about the church and about what the church is. And so I want to step aside here and, and just make sure that we all understand what, what church means. What church means. And in order for us to understand that, we need to start with the, with the word itself, the word church. We throw it around regularly. We use it a lot. We're here today in church. We are the church. Let's go to church. Let's be the church. You know, we hear it spoken of in both ways, and both are okay, depending upon which point of view you're coming from. But we need to understand the meaning. Where does it come from? What does is, what is church mean? Church, the word itself in English comes from Old English and from Old English's roots in Dutch and German you, you see it represented in the Scottish dialect with the word kirk 
you know, and it's the, do you pronounce it K or CH or whatever? All those come from the same Germanic word. That Germanic word that is the root of the word church comes from the medieval Greek kurikon, which is a combination of two Greek words. One, kurios, which means Lord, and the other, oikos, which means house. And so the kurikon is the house of the Lord. That's what the word church itself means, all right? So when we use the word church, that's how it has come to us in English. But the word church is given to us as a translation of the Greek word ekklesia. And Lord's house is not exactly what ekklesia means. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, coming through medieval Greek, through German and Old English, the word church is the Lord's house. is not true. That is true. The church is the Lord's house. Look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 and you'll see, okay? But that's not the meaning of the word ekklesia that is translated church throughout your English New Testaments. The word ekklesia most simply means this, a gathering or an assembly. And so, you know, as a kid, I was sometimes rebuked when I would say, let's go to church. I was told, no, no, we don't go to church. We are the church. Well, that's true. But the most basic meaning of the word is assembly. So if I'm saying I'm going to church, I'm saying I'm going to assembly, and that's right. Okay, nothing wrong with that. So you can say it that way. Uh, you know, just don't think this building is the church. That, that would be the only mistake that you might make. It is the church building, and that would be a fair uh, point to distinguish. But the word ekklesia, if we, if we want to look at the roots of this word, its etymology in ancient Greek, it comes from two Greek words as well. Ek, which means out or out of, and klesis, which means a calling. And, and so the idea is this assembly is together in an assembly because they have been called out of their homes and places of business and their ordinary everyday lives. They've been called out into this gathering, into this community, in, into this assembly. And, and so throughout the history of the church, that has been taken as somewhat of a metaphor. And I think rightly so. The idea is as the church of our Lord, we have been called out of not merely our physical homes and our places of business and work and whatever, but we through the gospel have been called out of the world. We've been called out of that society that we've been talking about that is in rebellion against the will of God. We've been called to leave society behind and to become a community of people that have been called out of that and put together through the blood and body of Jesus and his resurrection and ascension, all of which was accomplished to fulfill prophecy and to provide us with salvation and in saving us to make us into a gathered people, called out of the world into righteousness and holiness. So let's look at some of the specific words of 1 Peter chapter 2 that, that I think communicate this, this concept and, the, and that support this concept. We've, we've seen as we read together, God called you. I, I, I see that PL period? That's a plural word in the Greek. English doesn't convey that very well from the original Greek. There are numerous passages in the New Testament, and especially in our modern translations, that use the word you, and we read them as if they're speaking to us individually. And being constantly influenced by a culture that stresses the individual, we miss sometimes some very beautiful and profound things that Scripture is not saying to us individually, but saying to us as a group. And those passages help us to understand that we are who we are as a group, not alone, 
The concept that many have in the world today that I can love Jesus and despise the church, that I'm spiritual but not religious, that I can practice my own spirituality over here in my corner, and I can do that by myself. I've got this thing worked out with me and God, you see. You keep your church stuff over there. Brothers and sisters, that is heresy, and it is as far from the truth of the gospel of the word of God as it can possibly be. The whole purpose of saving us is to draw us together into a new humanity, into community with God through Jesus Christ. God has called you plural, you, the group. God has called you church, you assembly, you gathered people. God has called you, the community, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We don't behold the the beams of God's enlightening rays coming down from heaven, each of us individually. As a group, our breath is taken away in the minds of our spirits as we see the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we're brought to look back and forth at each other. And and, and Did you see that? Yes, I, I, I see that. Do you recognize this? Yes, I do. And then we lock arms. And we find strength. We find companionship. We find partnership. Because we together have been enlightened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that communal relationship that we have is something that folks out there in the world, I'm going to tell you right now in 2017, they recognize that they need even if they don't recognize it. Because all of these individuals celebrating themselves, they may not even recognize why they feel so empty. But brothers and sisters, if they can see us together, being the community that God has called us to be. They may not even be able to put words with it. They might even be able to say why it draws them, but it will draw them into salvation and into this community with Christ. You know, this idea of being called out is the same thing as being set apart. And in our text, Peter says we're holy in multiple different ways. And we know the word holy today is a religious word. And we know if somebody says they're holy or something's holy, then it has something to do with God. But I don't think most people understand the concept of holiness. It's really pretty simple when you get down to it. Because holy means separated. It means set apart. It, it means put over here and other things are put over here. And the easiest illustration is just like fine china. If you happen to have any fine china, you don't just mix it up with your normal everyday dishes in the cabinet. There's a special place for you to put it. Because it's, it's more valuable, it's more precious than that other stuff. The other stuff, somebody might drop a plate, and you might be upset, oh, man, I had 12, you know. Now we only got 11, and now we're going to have an oddball plate. You broke it, you get the oddball plate, you know. I mean, that, that's kind of the way we go with our regular dishes on my household. I don't know how many dishes we've broken over the years. But if we take out the china and break one of those, mama's going to be upset. It's not the same, you see. It's holy in that sense. I'm not saying God has blessed this China. That's not the point. But it's been set apart for special purposes. Brothers and sisters, we're not like the unwashed masses. I mean the spiritually unwashed masses. Is that insulting? I don't mean it that way. But truth is what truth is. Those who have not been washed in the blood of Christ, who haven't had their sins washed away in the watery grave of baptism, are the spiritually unwashed masses. They are unclean, ceremonially unclean in the eyes of God because they're bearing their own sins. But we have been washed free of the stain of our sins and declared by God to be holy. And therefore, He has called us out of the world. He has separate us, separated us from all that is common and unclean and evil and sinful. And we're called as a community to be holy together. 
and to help each other to be holy and to grow in our holiness and not to go back into the world's sinful ways, but to continue to be distinct and to be separate. We also read in this passage, and this is really where I want to I bring this sermon to a head this morning. Peter says this phrase, once you were not a people. Brothers and sisters, I wish I had an extra half hour this morning. People have told me over the years, you know, if you can't say it in 20 minutes, then you're saying too much. That's just baloney, man. There are some things in the word that you cannot say in 20 minutes. I've tried, okay? I've tried. Believe me. You may not believe me, and that's okay, but I've tried. I can speak for 20 minutes on this because this has got a lot of deep meaning that needs to be explored thoroughly. A lot of different levels. The folks to whom Peter was writing in this context formerly were not a people. They, they were just scattered throughout the nations, just lost, wandering, hopeless, without any aim, without any purpose, without any use. That's true. They also were subhuman. So far as what the real definition of humanity is concerned in the Bible, they were denying what it means to be human. What it means to be human is to be made in the image of God. Go back and look at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible defines what it means to be human in its first chapter. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. To be human is to be walking in an imitation of the example of God. It is to be faithfully representing the divine stamp that has been placed upon our hearts and souls. And someone who does not care to walk in the footsteps of our Lord, who does not care to be a reflection of God's glory back to himself has denied his human nature and is becoming an animal and that's what the whole idea under the old law of the clean versus the unclean animals meant you just take those things and read Acts chapter 10 and you'll see what I'm saying is true that's profound and so brothers and sisters we not just them the first readers of first Peter but we today in 2017 as we read this passage it speaks to us as a community once you plural you community once you were not a people but now but now you're God's people that's who we are we're God's people I am God's man so help me God sometimes not as a good one as I want to be you're God's man, God's woman, you're God's child, and sometimes not as good as, as you want to be, certainly not as good as what God would have you to be. Thank God for his grace. But I do think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God I am what I am. That's what he said and that's what I say. By the grace of God I am what I am. By the grace of God you are what you are, washed cleansed, sanctified, made holy, not for yourself, by yourself, to yourself. Oh, but Acts 2, verse 47, as many as obeyed were added to their number, added to the church, the King James says. Added to the community with a role in and a responsibility in the community. Peter says that there are several designations of that community, very wonderful, wonderful concepts that deserve whole sermons for each one. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. That means you're exclusively and particularly God's holy. Everybody else, they're not God's people. You're God's people. We are God's people. That's who we are. 
And so our minds together have got to be on the common, have got to be on the collective, have got to be on the cooperative, the mutual, have got to be on being together. Our minds have got to be on community, not so that we stick out, so we celebrate each other's individuality, but we use our individuality, the personalities, the gifts, the nature and the opportunities, the personalities that God has stamped upon each one of our hearts that represents just a, a part of his glorious nature. God has made each of us in his likeness and given us that individuality so that we can plug it into the community. Your talents have been given for my sake and mine for yours. And that is true throughout this body. And our talents together as a community have been given to us for the sake of the unwashed masses out there that God wants to wash. He wants to cleanse. He wants to sanctify. He wants to justify. He wants to make them holy because they're not a people. They're not a people. Oh, but they could be part of the people of God. True humanity. What a beautiful, beautiful concept this is. So, brothers and sisters, the application of this lesson is simply this. We've got to start living like a community again. We're not. That's a fact. We don't. It's settled. Don't argue about it. It's true. We all know it's true. We leave this house of worship and we run home to our houses and we lock the door. And we escape into our own little worlds because we have not been aware of just how much this culture of individuality has influenced each and every one of us. And it's a chore to practice hospitality, to invite your brothers and sisters over for a meal at your table together to share that fellowship. That's a chore because every one of us know we got houses that on a daily basis are not clean for company. And when we have company over, what do we got to do? We've got to run around like chickens with our heads cut off to make it look like that we live in spick and span splendor seven days a week and every one of us knows it is not true. So, what are we going to do about that? I'll let you decide what you're going to do about that. How often do you come to church? You know, I get criticized sometimes because I talk about the importance of coming to church on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. We'll talk about it right now. How often do you come to church? Are we a community? Are we your community? Is this where you want to be together with us, celebrating our, our like precious faith, our common nature of holiness in the Lord? You got to work or something, I understand that. You got emergency, I understand that, but we're going to be here tonight again at six, talking about some prophecy, Daniel 7. It's going to be fun. We're going to sing some songs together, praise. It's going to be fun. God's going to be glorified. We're going to pray together for each other and for the mission that God has given us. It's going to be encouraging. We will be a community again tonight at 6. Where will you be? Celebrating you? Yay, you. Yay, you. I know where I'm going to be. Acts chapter 2. I don't have time to read it, but read verses 35 through 47 today. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 35 through 47 today. And see how the early church, directly led by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they lived as a 
community. And in every way that applies in our lives today, brothers and sisters, we need to imitate it and we need to put it into practice. We need to be together the people of God. Please remember what the Bible says about who we are. We are members one of another. I only have my true identity when I understand myself in fellowship with you. And the same is true you with me. Remember that we are members one of another. It's not just one isolated passage, but it's something that the Bible repeats. So important is it for us to get this and to live like this. What is the point? 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Members may have the same care for one another. So, I'm going to leave you with something for you to chew on, something for you to think about this morning. And I beg you, I beg you in Jesus Christ to think about it. You see, there are a lot of ways that our sense of community can be destroyed. The primary and most common way today is to be caught up in the spirit of society and the spirit of the world and to think about yourself individually before you think about the good of the community. And even those of us that, that have been influenced enough with the gospel that this is where we're going to be every time the doors are open and this is where our hearts really are still sometimes can be deceived as to just how much of that selfishness, that individual drive for my fulfillment, rather than that drive to help to fulfill the life of the whole body. It can be in here among us. So let me ask you this question. Today, if you're a teenager, I'm not going to start with children. They're still, they got a lot of growing to do. I'm going to start with teenagers. What is your primary concern about the life of this body? What's most important to you? Is it the teen youth group? Is it making sure that you have a fun time in this 10-year or so period of life because, hey, you're never going to get this time back again and you really ought to have fun now while you're young? Is that how you approach where you are in this life? Is it about activities and youth group stuff? Or, or has God given us teenagers here to connect with those who are the oldest among us? So that in this period of time when your brains are still able to absorb so much, you can learn from the wisdom of their experiences because guess what? They used to be teenagers too or else they wouldn't be here today. What about our older folks? What about our older folks? What are you concerned with? With whether or not the church sees and looks after you, meets your needs? Or are you here? for the sake of the community? Has God preserved your life to this old age for yourself or because you have something to offer the life of the community? What is it? Those of us in between somewhere, raising kids, trying to pay bills, trying to make it in this life, what's it about? Is it all about me? Nobody cares about the chores I have to do every day. Nobody cares about how packed my schedule is. Nobody really is doing anything to help me. They're, they're still calling on me to teach class, don't they? No, I've been working overtime every week. What is it about? Is it about you celebrating you? Or is it about us being us and celebrating what God has done in making us a community in Christ? Think about it. This morning you'll be subject to the gospel invitation. Either to obey it, to be baptized into Christ, we plead with you not to put that off.
you need the prayers of the church, come as together we stand and sing.